0: Welcome to another powerful message from One Life Okay. We really hope you enjoy it.
1: I want to talk today about something I really feel like that that the Holy Spirit is really highlighting, and I think that it will set us up for for next year. There is movement in the Spirit that really needs sort of a precursor, if you will. And so I'm going to give that to you in the next few weeks. And so keep in mind, as I'm talking to you, that you're getting prepared for 2023. There's a powerful thing that's going to happen in the spirit in 2023 and so god's been preparing me for the word of the year already and so i want you to know 23 is a significant year and a significant number and so try to keep that in mind but right now i feel like he really wants us to he wants to highlight something to us that there's a tension within humanity to live in dualistic roles and i think that you need to learn that tension you know, one of the things that really, from my vantage point, is really cool is I watch people as they journey through this thing called life, and you know, when we when we come out of different dispensations, then we learn stuff a certain way in a dispensation. It's happening to you right now. You're learning stuff right now that's different than my childhood, but you're going to learn something different in your adulthood just like I have, and it's going to blow your this stuff I'm telling you right now out of the water. Because the because the spirit of revelation is on the earth and it's unfolding like a book, or like a map. Maybe that's a better analogy. It's unfolding into. Have you ever had a paper map? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And have you ever tried to refold that thing? You know, it's it's weird, right? It's like what I mean. Just the other day, Cece got a new little bedroom suit, and she had this strip of of oh, velvet that was this wide by the mirror length and I guess you're supposed to take it and unfold it and stick it to the underneath side of that mirror and set it on the dresser so it wouldn't skin it but I couldn't even refold that thing that was just one little tiny strip and I feel like there was a great analogy for me that the revelation is of God is not to be refolded it's supposed to be used you know, we decided not to use that little strip of velvet because we hung the mirror on the wall, so we didn't need to set it on the furniture. But it was frustrating that I kept trying to refold it. In that moment, he just revealed to me this was meant to be used. Ooh, wow. Okay, so the revel as let me say it again. The revelation I'm giving you today is not meant to be refolded and stuck in your back pocket for another day. It's meant to be used today. It's meant to be used this afternoon, tomorrow, at work. It's meant to be used. And so you have to begin to understand and identify with how God identifies you. You know, The reason why in the earth today there's such an issue with identity, keep trying to remember this if you can. Wherever the enemy is counterfeiting, God is actually has a move of God going on. So the move of God going on right now is you're getting to understand your identity in God. Don't be scared that the enemy is kind of hijacking it, if you will, and trying to give all these people the non-identity. Because God, that just, that's just a counterfeit for what God is actually doing. We get so scared. We, do you think that we get more scared at the enemy's activity or more excited about the Holy Spirit's? I propose to you that sometimes we get more scared about the enemy's activity when the Holy Spirit's going, I'm doing a new thing. I'm doing something amazing. Can you perceive it? That was the question he asked. I am doing a new thing. Do you have the ability and will you perceive it? That's why we're living in the month of awareness. It's a setup. He's doing a new thing. You're the one that needs to perceive it. He doesn't need to demonstrate what he's doing. He's doing a new thing. You're the one to look and see if you see it. And so he's using, I think I wrote this down. God often makes internal strength out of external events. So that was a funny little thing I said up there about patience, but how many of you know you don't have it? Well, he's going to use an external thing to create patience internally. And so what what does that look like? Stuff doesn't work out. The same kind of stuff doesn't work out the same kind of way over and over. Get your order wrong at the restaurant. Listen, you can complain all you want that your food's not right, but you will be right back there over and over and over and over and over and over and over until you get it. You're not getting it. It's not about going to all the restaurants and making sure everybody's got it right. If people in your house aren't doing stuff you like, it's going to happen over and over and over and over because you're missing it. You can go around and make a bunch of house rules and get everybody all in line, get all the rules set up, but guess what? It's going to happen another way over and over and over and over and over again. You go to work, you don't like who you work with, and you get moved, you ask to be moved. Guess what? It's the same things going to happen over and over and over. Why? You're missing it. You work for yourself, you're going to get all frustrated because the same things going to happen over and over and over and over. You know, we create wrestling matches because we don't understand that God is trying to teach us a dualistic role in our lives. He's trying to say, hey, I've placed you somewhere to do a certain thing here. If you try to make the environment change to where you're happy, you're going to miss the reason you're there. Environments were meant to be a conduit of the Holy Spirit environments are not meant to make sure your greatest need is satisfied. So Cece had three dreams, I would say, that go along with what I'm going to preach on. And I, I can't even promise you, I'm totally fully around the corner, but I'm going to tell you what I know. You know, she kind of dreams in a mystery, and if she's not careful, the lately dreams, the lately dreams, that she wakes up with, she almost always says every day, oh, I just had a frustrating dream. And I'm like, oh, share. If she wakes up and says, this is a good dream, I'm like, oh, I don't even care to hear that one. I'm like, it's not true. It's not true. I'm just, I'm, I, I I knew it was going to be a funny day. I'm funny today, okay? I'm really sort of correcting you, so I'm funny today. So it, So it feels more like, you know, a kiss. Slap a little bit and then Mwah, kiss. Yeah. Come on. You like it. That's why we're here. To let the Holy Spirit mess with our stuff. Isn't it funny how you kind of act like you're going to get all comfortable and then he moves you? And then you're all uncomfortable again. You're like, I just got to my comfort zone. But in one of the dreams, you know, Cece and Shudi are my over-responsibles. And so I'm always they're both extremely pure hearted, but I'm always trying to keep them from they want to manage. They can and they could manage a lot of extra stuff, you know, but I try to keep them in their wheelhouse, if you will, because, you know, I don't want us to be just doing a bunch of activity for activity's sake. I want us to be doing the assignment of God. But in this dream, it was interesting because there was a bus, and bus represents ministry, and I would say we're about bus size. And so uh, she was getting on the bus, and all these people decided they were going to put their bikes, and bikes represent individual ministry, on the bus too. Now, instead of her saying, get the bikes off the bus, that's what she should have said, right? She was trying to organize the bikes and it created this atmosphere of chaos where you had to almost go through an obstacle course just to move through the bus. And I felt like what the Holy Spirit told me about that dream was that we need to make sure we don't get so caught up in our own individual identity because I'm giving this word, our own individual way of doing ministry, our own individual ministry within the ministry that we don't crowd it up because then all the over-responsibles are going to just be spending all their time organizing the crowding instead of actually delivering the message. Can you receive that? So as I'm talking today, remember I'm talking about dualistic roles. So in the process of What God's been revealing to me about this. There's those who are wall builders. Now, in my opinion, everybody is both of these. Just to give you the punchline. But everybody isn't both of these everywhere. And that's the great tension of God. Is that you can be one thing with one person and you are so not that with somebody else. And if you're not careful... You'll see somebody else being what you... This is what we do. I know. Y'all don't know what I'm going to say right here, do you? So, like, maybe to Tessa, I'm a wall builder. But when Tessa sees me, maybe she wants to be a wall builder for Cece. And God's like, no, I'm not even saying this is true, okay? This is just... An, no, no, you don't get to be the wall builder for Cece. You have to be the wall builder for Bailey. And she's like, I don't want to be one for Bailey. That This is how we do it. He... he says to us hey i want you to be in this role i mean pam understands this better than anybody pam used to want to be joyce meyer now that's a long way to come down from joyce meyer status to sitting right back here watching the back door at this pedantically little building right That somebody might come in and, and attack tisa it's it's a long way it's a long way right but where was the where was it a long way at? just right in her mind It wasn't anything it was nothing out here right And see that's God has to build up our strength and maturity within our own heads Is anybody don't raise your hand because I already know but did any of y'all grow up thinking you were going to just be famous like? You know, nowadays we watch YouTube and stuff, and we think, "Well, let me help you." That wasn't God. That okay? Yeah. Especially in this era of time, that we, the way of anointing is. Remember, I've already preached it. It's it's the low road. So, see what we want. We want to start at the high road, and we want to decide if we like it up there. And He always takes us down to the low. And so, the distance we have to go. But when we thought we were going to be, who's somebody famous singer right now? You don't know. Well, anyway, let's just go with the famous. Do you know anyone famous singer right now? Does anyone know? Who? He's famous now? Oh, okay. Okay, well, we'll use him because none of us know anything. I was trying to think of somebody when I was a kid, like, Oh gosh, no! That was that was not when I was a kid, was it? I don't. Sorry, we're getting stopped on us. Uh, everybody's going. You tell us not to even pay any attention to secular music. Now you're telling us. everything. Well, anyway, someone famous. If I think I'm going to be up there, it's my point, right? Then when something comes along to bring about discipline and humility, I reject it because it doesn't meet up with the plan. Remember, I've been over these words and words for uh, all week. It's what uh, Cece's saying. I think at the encounter room, you saying it right? I uproot the tent pegs I've placed on my own, and I enlarge my tent to give you a bigger home. Think about it for a minute. Your tent pegs are so tiny. That famous thing you're trying to be—it was so tiny compared to your assignment. Has anyone given up anything yet? And you realize—I know Breezy has—you realize, oh my gosh, that was so tiny. Like my impact and my anointing and my power and my authority now is—is is, right compared to what I thought is—is is in a different way, different place, different. It's more impactful. I like how Pam and I were talking about this this week. She said, "Well, I love being my role as." All the roles that she is, especially just, we were just talking about with me, you know, because I was just, I had me on my mind, clearly. No, I didn't. That was just a joke. Um, but she said, I enjoy so much my role. But I would say at one point in her life, she had to give way to it. And the, the enjoyment wasn't that day. That was a letting go day. The letting go isn't the day she's at right now. This is our, we've known each other 30 years this month, October This month. That was the day we sat at Catfish Cabin and we talked about the evil one. And she said she didn't believe in evil. And I was like, oh, it's going to be hard for you to bite the head of the snake off of an evil one when you don't think they exist. So we had to have years of lessons about the evil one. But it was always intended. She, She carries the same anointing her mom did, but her mom had a nervous breakdown because her mom didn't understand her power. Do you see how the enemy can twist it when we get outside of our role? <sighs> so let me give you a couple of facts that the Holy Spirit gave me. Okay, I want to start out with. She also had a dream about some dog poop, but I'm not on top of that right now. Um, it was in her mouth. Anyway, uh, he, let's start out with a couple of preliminary statements. Hebrews 13, 12. Search your hearts every day, my brothers and sisters, and make sure that no one has evil or unbelief hiding within him. Now, probably in this little room, I wouldn't look around and say, man, you're evil. You're an evil person. You have evil. You have evil. Because, you know, the devil. No, 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 no. Years. Would say we have evil in our heart, right? but how about unbelief? How about unbelief? How about unbelief? If do you have fear, you have unbelief, it's hiding, it's acting like it's fear, it's all demonic. Unbelief is demonic. You didn't come, listen, you didn't come to the planet made by God to live in unbelief and fear. All of that is from the enemy. That's why he wants you to search your hearts just occasionally. Oh, every day. Why? Because every day you get an assignment from God. Listen, if you want to know your overarching assignment, get up and do the assignment each day. This is part of it. Search my heart. Is there anything in my heart? Is there any unbelief in here? Is there any fear in here? Is there any bad junk in here? Whatever little name you need to put on there to be more able to pray it. And then you say, Well, what's your assignment for me today? What is on your heart today, Holy Spirit? What do you want to do today, Holy Spirit? What is on your heart? Not, What do I have to do today? Because if I don't, then I'll make plans. I'll make plans. I'll make appointments. And then when he comes in to shift one, we'll be like, no, no, that can't be God. Because I made this appointment. Right? He said, for, listen to what he says, for your heart will lead you astray. Why will it lead you astray? Out of the abundance of your heart, everything flows. So if I'm unaware, this is the month of awareness. Hello? Yeah. It's a month of awareness. If I'm unaware, I have unbelief. I know y'all can't identify with evil today. If I'm aware I have unbelief, my unbelief is leading me astray. It's causing me to choose small choices to make sure I can avoid big problems. It's making me not risk anything that I decided was risky in order to stay small. You know, when God started speaking to me about moving into a different house, I knew that He wanted eight people to move into a house. That's not a small house. That's not a small house. And you know, I had a I had a tentative plan in my head. Now see, <laughs> now see, the only plan I had in my mind was I had to make a bedroom for Sid and move. That was the only plan I, plan I had when I moved in. All this other stuff, the leaky bathroom, none of that was on my plan. We're becoming aware of how much we think about us. How hard has it been to have encounters with him? I mean people have these these leaders in here have been writing to y'all every morning. Have you even read it yeah. don't Don't even answer. Have you even read it? I mean, people, I mean, I know what Tessa went through to write that word the other day, and I know how much it goes along with what I'm talking about today. She doesn't even know it. God doesn't reveal that to her. So do you ever think about that when you somebody just rocks over a word that's really deep? Do you go like, oh, that's cool, and move, move on? Or not? You know, when we were outside yesterday, those birds flew over. I put on the, did y'all read that? I put that on there, too. Just, it's just a little test. And I was thinking, it was so significant. I mean, it was literally like they were just right here. And I was like, well, then I said, Cece was out there with me. I said, well, that couldn't be more pointed. I mean, they were they were not, it wasn't one of those where they were kind of sort of, I mean, they were directly in, I mean, a perfect line. And there were a whole bunch of them. And I was just like, oh, West. I know what West means. Listen, it's in that moment that I should turn aside to see. It should grasp my attention to say, not necessarily, well, blackbirds, what do blackbirds mean? No, it maybe isn't about the blackbirds. See, it's the tension, the living in a dualistic role that, hey, my job is not only to find out something about that for me, but find out something about that for you. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. Hebrews 3, I'm on that. So 12 was search your hearts, right? See if there's any unbelief. Because your heart leads you astray. And it says, and it makes you unresponsive to the living God. Listen, there's not a person in here that I haven't taught in some way to hear God's voice. But remember, it ain't a thing. It's your response. What makes us unresponsive to him? Unbelief. It's simple. When God comes to you and tells you the next stage of your life and you don't respond, you have fear, you have unbelief. Cuz it should be like, "What? You're giving me this amazing house?" If he'd said, "I'm going to give you this amazing house" and there's going to be a lot of tension there in that house and you're going to have to forge unity. And there's going to be some accidents, and there's going to be some spillage, and there's going to be some leaks. I'd have been like, ah, can we make it easier? Because like that, it already feels like a lot of tension moving. Right? Remember what the lady said? I said, well, why didn't you tell me? And she said, why would I? That's what he's saying. Yeah. We act like we want to know. But see, it's the external things that are doing an internal work. Why would he tell us? So if he does tell us. If he says the thief has one thing in mind, you can better believe the thief is going to be knocking at your door the next couple of weeks. Why does he tell us? Because he reveals to his prophets what he's going to do next. So if we don't have victory over the enemy, we're not going to have victory to do this, what we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks. So the next verse. I got a new daily deal just now. This, (laughs) This, <laughs> I thought it could be important. I thought I'd look. This is the time to encourage each other to never be stubborn. Yeah. Yes. Just look over to your neighbor right now and say, please, I want to encourage you right now. Stop being stubborn. Have you ever known something was going on with you? I had somebody text me a couple days ago and they were like, Hey, I got this thing going on. It was like a text about this long. Hadn't heard from a long time. And what do you think about it? And I'm like, Oh gosh, that is like a loaded question. I mean, how can I encapsulate in text form, you know, as an introvert and text form, something that is a whole life changing principle. I mean, it's like we don't even really have it that way. I said, well, do you want me to shoot it to you straight? Oh, yeah, I want truth. But see, the problem is, is that if the truth hardens your heart, makes you stubborn, you don't want truth. So know thyself. Don't ask for truth if you know you're going to be stubborn. Because then you're responsible for the truth you just heard. If you want to grow, get truth. But be honest with where you're at. If you don't want to grow, don't get truth. Tell people, hey, don't tell me truth. Because it's going to make me mad. It's going to make me all stubborn. It's going to harden my heart. Right? I love this. It says, for we are mingled with the Messiah. If we continue, if we will continue unshaken in this confident assurance from the beginning until the end. This is what it says. It says that this can be translated, the sin of the deceiver. The deceiver could be referring to the devil or our own ability to be self-deceived. So it's basically saying that I'm already mingled with Jesus. And so we have to encourage each other. By saying, hey, you're sort of self-deceived right there. Hey, I think that's the enemy. Now listen, if I tell you one of those two things, don't say to me, well, I got a real problem here. Because what am I telling you? I'm telling you there's something hidden in your heart. And y'all should do that for each other. Can you pick up on when someone's got something hidden in your heart? How many think that they can? Raise your hand real high. Well, great. God's going to bring you some candidates for you to practice on. I love Pam and I just told somebody the other day, you don't know how to do this. You need to practice. So what does practice look like? Oh, you probably won't get it right the first time. Have you ever known something that someone had in their heart and you didn't tell them and then a while later it came back to bite them in the butt. And you said this. I knew that was going to happen. Who, who's done that? Well, you're a watchman on the wall probably. Because God tells you stuff. But you're probably not good at delivery. <laughs> Have you ever tried to deliver it to somebody and they didn't receive it? Anybody had that happen? And what did you do next? Did you go back? Did you go back and try again? Or did you make a vow? Who went back? Who made the little vow? I'm not going to say that to them anymore. Yeah, wimp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what does practice look like? Do it again. Do it again. Yeah. Verse three, I mean, chapter three, still 19, it says it's clear they could not enter into their inheritance because they wrapped their hearts in unbelief. So what does that tell us? You receiving your inheritance means you have to believe it. Pray over your inheritance. Pray that the enemy won't steal your inheritance through unbelief. Stop looking to your natural family for your inheritance. It's not coming from them. If it does, it's a fluke of nature. They're spending their money on them. They're trying to... They're looking around in the dark. I love somebody in here said to their parents, I hope you find what you're looking for. Listen. Pray that God will protect your inheritance. It's not coming from people. Your unbelief will keep you from spiritual inheritance. Think about how unbelief is forged. You're not born with it. You learned it. How did you learn it? By example. By modeling. How do you unlearn it? By example. By modeling. It's not some magical way. I cannot touch you on the head. And poof. It is gone. It's forged through other experiences. And for you to believe the word and do the word and tell the word becomes true. You don't read the word and say, oh, well, I searched my heart today and I didn't hear nothing. One time. Don't you love it when people give you the two weeks? I've been doing that for two, oh, no, 20 years is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the 20 year pattern. Right? Don't give me the two week thing. Nobody can do nothing. Nothing changes in two weeks. Can't even grow a nothing in two weeks. So that was my preliminary thing. What I want to start with today is the wall builders. And God asked me this question. I think I have a slide for this. I do. Here it is. Number four, please. Yep. How can you be a watchman on the wall if there is no wall? What is a wall? In this, in this context. It's a high place. Look he's kind of on it there. He's blurry but he's up there. Right. What is the context of this wall? It's being able to see. You're high. So what makes us higher? I propose it's truth. The more truth I know. Listen, truth is truth. Don't be bringing up here some Google truth, right? And comparing it to the Word of God and then acting like you're building your life on some Google truth. Stop it. How many times do we do that? Come on. Information comes in and we... Do you go to your least faith-filled person? And present the information to them. Do you go to someone who already has physical fears? See, do you see what I'm saying? We create momentum. And so I propose that part of the reason why that we can't be watchmen on the wall. And I'm going to talk to you about that. But is because there's no wall to get up on. Your wall of truth has sorely deteriorated or never been built. Let's think about Nehemiah. He was a great rebuilder of a wall. What was the wall there for originally? It was for protection of what? The city and the temple. The temple was rebuilt and no wall. Seventy years they lived with no wall. They lived with no protection See, the wall is the first stage of protection. That's why everybody has to be a watchman on the wall, at least for your own little life. What if we were like what God said? What if, you know, I love that if you really understand this metaphor about being on the wall, being on truth over your own life, then no matter what happens in life, You know who you are. Even if people do stuff to you without you in mind. That happened to me this week too. You still know your identity. You still know who you are. So those events don't point to the fact that you are not that person. Is this like going right over your head? And so if I don't, if, if I am not standing on that truth, I don't have a wall. So I can be dancing in the temple all I want, but the enemy's coming right in. This is why you have no momentum. You have no momentum. You got your little temple. You got your praise pants on in here. You're doing good. You're soaking. But guess what? He's right there Monday morning. He's right there Sunday afternoon. Because why? You got no wall. You got no truth around your temple. Now think about Nehemiah. How long did it take him to rebuild the temple? It was a long time. Five, nine days. 50 days. We act like this is a big thing. This is what we do. Oh, well, I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't even know how. I don't even know truth. I don't even know where to start. I don't even know if I can do it. It feels so hard. I don't even know. I just got too many injuries. I mean, I remember when this happened to me. I remember when this happened to me. Yeah, you are reciting all the things that broke down the wall. But truth is truth. I Let me help you. Truth is a standalone brick. If you want to rebuild your wall fast, only in just truth. If you want to be a 40-year process, some of y'all do. Y'all are on this 40-year plan. There's several of you in here are. Truth's been told to you 10 years ago, maybe even 12 years ago. And you still don't have your first brick in place. And you're not up on the wall of your own life. You're not out seeing the enemy coming. You have to have other people, uh, hey, hey. You remember in Lord of the Rings where they lit the little lights all along? That's what you got. You got somebody way over here that's lit the light. And they're like, the light. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? And they're like, there, no, you're not doing no light. you know, Because you didn't even build your little, you don't, even, you don't even have it. It's not on nothing. If you lit it, it'd be down the valley and nobody would see it. It'd just be something you thought you were supposed to make s'mores with. You don't realize it was actually the trumpet to say the enemy's coming. You're down there eating s'mores and you're good. They're delicious. You're having friends over while the whole world is being burnt down. You know that one little bit emoji where she's drinking and the whole thing behind her is on fire? That's you. Listen, you have to have a personal wall of truth to get up on. You've got to set boundaries against all things that come against that truth. And guess what? The enemy's not going to play fair. He's going to pointedly point to the things that your truth stands on. He's going to be like, no. You're not going to be celebrated. You're not going to be understood. Remember in counter room day, I said, Jesus understands our humanity, That scripture. You're not going to be understood by human beings. They don't even understand themselves. So just say right now, out loud, turn your neighbor and say, you know what, probably later you're going to feel misunderstood. <laughs> so it's a real thing. Quit trying to make people understand you. Tell them, tell them that right in the face. Quit trying to make people understand you. can't see anything the enemy's doing i like in second corinthians i think i let me see if i have it real quick anyway there's a scripture i was reading yesterday i don't think i have it but it was talking about yeah second corinthians 2 is this is what it says Are you ready second corinthians 2 11 it's my duty it's me To make sure that Satan does not win even a small victory over us. For we don't want to be naive and then fall prey to his schemes. That's what I'm doing for you today. It's my job. I'm doing my job. Listen, your job is to get up and search your heart every day. To see if there's evil or unbelief. My job is to say, listen, this is how the enemy works. Don't be naive. Don't be dumb. It's not a secret. He's a schemer. If you don't know about him, if you've been struggling with the devil the last two weeks, go back and listen to that message on that Wednesday night. The thief has one thing in mind. One thing. He's not going to change his tactic because it works on you. (laughs) It does. When you keep having that same rub with that same person, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Quit acting like People are the problem. Get some truth. Get up on the wall and you'll see the enemy coming. You can do something about it in advance. You can blow the trumpet. Get a friend over. I see the enemy coming again. Agreed? So remember, let's talk a little bit more about rebuilding the wall so nehemiah he's a great example and he built the wall in 52 days i think it's said 59 i think it's 52 it doesn't matter 50 days right that's not very long right in your lifespan so this is an important tool to have to rebuild my wall of truth so i can get up on it right now think about it he was a cupbearer. he wasn't special what was he He drank the juice to see if it was going to kill the king. Wouldn't you want that job? Can you do that job for me? Come over and drink everything I'm going to drink, and we'll wait and see if it kills you. If you don't die, I'll I'll drink me some of that tea too. That was his job. He only got little sips. That was his job. But guess what? He had favor with the king because number one, he never kicked the bucket. That's a good thing. And so when he yeah. So when he went to the king, what happened? He got favor. He got some days off work. Don't come ask Pam and I for days off work. We'll be like, no, I'm just kidding. He got he got days off work. He got days off work, right? And he paid for it. And he sent a letter out in advance. Now what happened when Nehemiah was trying to rebuild his wall of truth? Remember his little friend Sandy and T- Toby? Remember them? What are you doing? Idiot. Why would you be doing this? Come, let's go to lunch. I'll buy, hey, I'll buy you lunch. You want to go to Pablano's? Come on. Let's go to Poblano's. I'll buy you lunch. What do you think would have happened during that conversation with Nehemiah, Sandy, Tobiah, and what was the other guy's name? Anyway, don't matter. John, what what would have happened during that conversation? How long would the wall have taken? More days? Because I bet they weren't going to say, "Nee, you're doing a great job. Get in there, fight, fight, fight. Keep building. This is amazing what you're doing." Because why? I pro- this is my proposal to you. I don't have any proof of this. I propose, you know, while the wall was down, they had to make packs with other countries for protection. I propose Sandy and Tobiah made money off of no wall. Who's getting a payoff because you don't have a wall? If you call them they, you don't need a wall. Isn't it weird how we ask them, hey, something that's going to cost you money. Should I do it? Well, no, I'll lose money. They're smarter than us. We're just like, I need truth. And I feel like I don't have it. And we go talk to the very person that so knows. And they're like, no, you don't need that. You don't need that boundary. You don't need, you don't, that's, you're too committed. You go to church all the time. You're at everything. Don't they know you're faithful? You don't need to show up that you're faithful. Why go to the people that's going, they're that going to lose out. I propose that's, that's who they were. And what did Nehemiah do? He didn't even get, he didn't even return their text. He didn't. You remember how much pressure that text put on? They've sent me a text. I'm like, block. I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. I don't have time to read it. I don't don't care what they say. Because why? They're Sandy and Tobiah and I know it. They have a payoff for you not having a wall. They're glad you're not up high. They're glad you don't know. They're glad you're unaware. They're glad that their need is really, really important to you. They're glad you don't know your assignment. They're glad that their need is really preeminent for you. They're glad that they can emotionally pluck that string on your heart and get you to do something and make you feel guilty for something that happened last year, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. They love it. So, the wall, let's just end with this maybe today. The wall is out front. Clear? Now, I love, just just to help us, I, my scriptures I'm going to be talking about, and y'all can search them out a little bit, is Isaiah 62, Ezekiel 33, Habakkuk 2. It, but in Isaiah 62, he says this, I've posted watchmen on your walls. So let me help you. Right now you don't know it. I'm the watchman on a lot of your walls. You don't even know it. You don't even think about it. You're unaware. But see, the goal isn't to live there. What if the goal of your life was to be the watchman on my wall? You see... The thing that God does for us to bring us in the he, into healing, He didn't mean for us to stay there. He meant for the awareness and the freedom that came to us from not being bound anymore by the thing that bound us to release us into an anointing. And in that anointing, He has His perfect will that flows through you. Listen, all the people that were glad you didn't have a wall. They can't get in anymore. Right. They can't climb it. Uh-huh. Why, do, why do you think over and over and over? Yeah. The temple was built. The wall was built. It was all tore down by the enemy. The temple was built. The wall was built. It was all torn down by the enemy. It just kept repeating. I propose it can only repeat when we're not watchmen on the wall. Of our own life. We don't see the enemy coming. He overtakes us. We recycle that whole thing. All over again. And that's where some of y'all are in here. You keep recycling. Because you won't take the time. The 52 days to rebuild the wall. Come on, Mendel.
0: Oh, good. Aren't you excited about this series? Wow. I think we're going to have another 888 parts of that series too, you know. Well, I have a um, a prophetic message I want to try to share. I don't even know if I'm fully around the corner on it, but I have to try. I just have to try. So here's how it started for me. A couple of weeks ago and and then a couple of weeks before that, and um, and I and Tisa were pulling up to the building here. And I don't know why, but for just out of my mouth came these words, Shooty, I can't wait until we have a building with a clear roof so that we can worship and see the sky. Okay, <laughs> I'd never thought this before in my life. But I was just like, oh, wouldn't that be amazing? And so I told her about it, right? Then like another couple of weeks went by and we pulled up again, and and the same thought came to me, and I was like, shooty, I can't wait till we have our worship center with a clear roof so we can see the sky. And then we just kept going, right? Because I was like, well, yeah, that'd be cool. I like windows. I like nature. I like to see the sky. That'd be cool. So then, fast forward, yesterday, I was seeking out a matter to call this little room that Tracy and I share between our bedrooms. I needed a name for that room, right? So I love how the Holy Spirit works. He started reminding me about the structure of the original temple and the tabernacle. And so I went to look up well, what did they call that room that was between like before you got to the Holy of Holies, what did they call that room? So it took me on a whole journey. I was reading about the three different parts of the original tabernacle and temple. There was the outer court and then there was the Holy place and then the Holy of Holies. Okay. And So the holy place would be the the name I was needing, because that's the room before you get to the room, right? And so I'm reading about that. I I was just looking up names and looking up random information. I didn't even think this was going to be my focus for the day. But I looked up this, this thing that said, the second section could only be accessed by priests and was symbolic of the visible sky a type of ascension theme. So I was like, immediately, I remembered that I would told Judy, I can't wait until we can worship and we can see the sky, you know, under this visible sky. I mean, it just erupted inside of me. And so I knew the Holy Spirit was on this, and I spent the entire day studying about the temple and all the different pieces that were in it to, try to find, you know, trying to find out what the Holy Spirit was saying. Well, there's a whole lot of teaching out there about what all everything represents in those parts, but I want you to picture this with me and just I'm just hearing what the Holy Spirit is telling me about it, right? It's not a matter of right or wrong about what anyone else has interpreted it means, but picture the temple with me. Okay. If you've seen pictures before, then this will come to your mind easily. But basically in the original tabernacle, when the Israelites were traveling through the wilderness, you know, they erected uh, this big tent. So the outer court had this um, like wall around it, but it was uh, made out of material. And um, you entered that place and Jews and Gentiles could enter that portion of the temple. Okay. And that was like a, more of a common area Um, people and priests were in there doing their thing offering sacrifices and all that well before so within that sort of courtyard then there's like a little tent building okay and the first opening of the tent you walked into that was the the holy place and then there's another um, curtain within that room that you would enter into go to the holy of holies so only the priests could go into the holy place and only one, only the high priest once a year ever got to go into the Holy of Holies, right? And of course, that's where the actual presence of God was for the Israelites back then, okay? So, but picture this. So you've got an, it's an open courtyard, okay? There's nothing above you, it's just walls. But then once you enter the holy place, you're in a like a covered tent, so there's a ceiling. And so in my mind, I'm like, Wait a minute, we were outside in the outer courtyard where you could see the sky, and now we've gone inside to the tent, but you're saying this represents the visible sky. Do you see what I'm saying? How can that be? How Wouldn't the part where you're outside under the sky be the part <laughs> that represented the visible sky? But this is saying that it was symbolic of the visible sky was once you were inside the holy place. Now, in my reading, it talks about how they, in that, the holy place, there are three things, but I'm just going to talk about two of them real quickly. One was the the lampstand, and then there was the table for the showbread, and then there was the altar of incense, which that apparently, it was in the holy place, but after Jesus, then it goes into the holy of holies. That's just a whole nother thing. I never knew that. It wasn't, anyways, that's the whole other thing. I don't have, I haven't, so we're just gonna talk about those two because it moved, okay? It was on the other side of the veil because who's interceding? Jesus is interceding for us now. Anyways, that's the whole thing. That's a whole really cool thing in itself. So you walk into the holy place under a covering. It's, there's no light in there except for the lampstand. And the lampstand, if you don't, can't picture that as like your typical menorah that's, you know, in the Jewish holidays and uh, um, what's it called? Hanukkah, thank you. Sorry to say Christmas, but that's not it. Anyway, so the lampstand, it's a single post, right, with three branches off of each side, and so it's made out of solid gold. Not every, Lots of the other pieces in there were wood covered with gold, but the lampstand was solid gold beaten into a form of solid gold, okay? So it said the, sing, the center pillar represented God and, and the purity of God, just pure gold, right? And then the three branches off of each, each side represents the people. So there's six branches total, which is the number for people, right? And then the one for God, which makes seven for the number of perfection of God and man together. So what's interesting, though, this was the whole, I mean, there's so much in there, but they put oil in this lamp and the light came from that was the only, the light that came from the lampstand was the only light in this room that represents the visible sky, okay? The light would shine on, the only other thing in the room at this point is the table of showbread, which is symbolic of God's provision, you know, he's the bread of life, among many, many, many other things, as I discovered all day long yesterday, (laughs) So, but let's keeping it simple. There's the light and then there's the bread. So who is the light? It's Jesus is the light of the world, right? When we were singing today in worship and we, we had that whole cool part about the, you know, by your stripes, I'm healed and I breathe the name of Yahweh and only Jesus can do it. I heard, I saw Jesus, I saw him and he was weeping and he was like, that's it. That is why I came. He said, that is the one reason I came. That is why I came so that you could be healed and you could have life in abundance and wholeness. And he was like, that's it. Like we touched on the one thing and he was so, so moved by the fact that we weren't just all over the place, but we tapped into the one thing that was his why, his why. And I thought about that that picture of being in the holy place, and it wasn't cluttered full of stuff. It didn't have anything else in it except for the lampstand and the showbread, and then there was the altar of incense, like I said, but that's it. It wasn't cluttered full of stuff that they thought was made it more ornate or anything. It was just what God prescribed. You know, the, the tabernacle was precisely designed and structured and built. There's like Five layers of curtains, and all of them represent something else. I mean, it's precise and it's purely God. And the only light in there comes from the lampstand that represents the light of God, pure light of God, fueled by the oil of the Holy Spirit, representing man and Jesus together, man and God together, right? So it this I was trying. I was reading about well, why would this represent the visible sky? And it, there's several symbolic things in there about the colors of the curtains and all of that, which is extremely cool. But it, there was a reference to Genesis 1 when God created the earth, and it was talking about how light was used. Um, that the seven seven uh, branches on the lampstand, right? The six plus the one would represent seven lights, and there are seven lights originally mentioned in Genesis, the sun and the moon and the the five planets or something like that. Anyways, it all was referencing the original creation of the light of the world, and so just trust me on that. I didn't explain that very well, but it says in Genesis 1, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was completely formless and empty with nothing but darkness draped over the deep. God's spirit hovered over the face of the waters, and then God announced, let there be light, and light burst forth. So I went to look at the footnote here because I hadn't had time to study all of this out. I just looked at this part this morning. And Brian Simmons says that God created light, but did not create the sun until the fourth day. So how is he creating light without the sun, right? Right. It said it was God Himself filling the universe with the light of His presence and glory. So, this the holy place representing the visible sky and the light, it was not really the natural visible sky. It's you really enter the true visible sky lit by God Himself and the very presence of God Himself when you enter into the holy place. And so I feel like that God was saying, I'm, I'm pulling you into a season and a time and a place where you increase your your ability to see the visible sky, God's display, his light with a purity that's not mixed with what you're seeing in your natural mind. It's not an impure truth that's subject to your circumstances or how you're feeling in the day, but that's a pure, solid gold light, a pure truth, right? Guess what the gate into the holy place is called? The truth. There were three, three sections on the outer court. It was called the way. That was the curtains. It was called the way. The entrance into the holy place was called the truth. And then the holy of holies was the life. So for our purposes, for our message, okay, from the Holy Spirit is saying, I want you to enter into this place and have a worship experience with a, where you can see the visible sky that is lit by God himself. Not in the natural world, not with their natural eyes, but where the very truth, the pure essence of truth, the pure essence of truth, not subjective truth, right? The purity of truth. And that's what Tisa is talking about today is having a wall that doesn't shift. It doesn't change based on your circumstances. A wall that you stand on and you know you're standing on solid truth and your perspective from that point is is solid because of your, your song founded on solid truth, right? Not something that's wishy-washy or dependent on who you talk to. And you know, I just have to read the rest of this footnote. It was so cool. It says the Hebrew verbs used with the phrases let there be and there was are both related to the holy name Yahweh. Were we not singing that today? There's Yahi which means let it let there be and wehi which means and there was and it says he released this this power he released this word of power the universe began to expand and has been expanding ever since god's kingdom operates according to the principle of an endless increase not by a power that diminishes over time. Wow. The you know <laughs> I'm just taking this as a personal invitation from him. He's saying, could you desire in your heart to worship from a place where you see, where you are in a room that looks otherwise has a ceiling on it in the natural, but you have access to seeing the visible sky that's lit by God himself. The pure truth, purity of truth. So, it's an invitation for us to come in deeper. And I just know that God is so on the move on the earth right now, and He's exposing all sorts of stuff. And I see that in this footnote about how God's truth is expanding. The universe is expanding with His truth. The truth of God is going out into the world right now and saying, boop, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. That's a lie. That's founded on a false agenda. That's not true. That's not true. Truth is being revealed on a greater and greater level. And we're being being invited to step into a deeper place in the temple that we have built. Okay, we've, we've created a temple in us, but he's saying there's more. The people that were in the outer court of the temple were already saved. Did they ever enter the holy place? no. Only the priests could enter the holy place, but we are called to be priests now because of Jesus. We are priests, and so we are called to enter the holy place, and because Jesus died on the cross, by his stripes we are healed. The veil was torn, and now there is no separation between the holy place and the holy of holies. It's all one and the same, and that's why we are seated in heavenly places with an eternal viewpoint, and he's saying, Could you shift into a place where you are purely seeing through those eyes of an eternal being seated at the right hand of God? That's us. Now I have to say that I have to reference this dream. That was a beautiful illustration. Now I'm going to tell you about this really gross dream I had that Tisa mentioned. I had a dream last night that I was picking up all the, somebody had had put dog poop in all these little baggies and left them out and I was collecting all the bags like oh let's clean this up let's get this out of here and I don't know how okay I'm so glad I didn't know I didn't this part wasn't part of my dream but next thing you know I had a piece of dog poop in my mouth and I was I couldn't figure out how to get it out cuz I didn't I certainly wasn't going to swallow it and I I had to spit it out but my mouth was really small and it was going to have, have trouble getting out and I just I needed it to get out it was gross what do dogs represent friends Lenny's my friend, and she bakes bread, but this wasn't a, a picture of my, her delicious banana bread in my mouth. This was something else that people produce and friends produce. Okay, there's excrement. Okay, there's lots of words we can use, C-R-A-P is one of them. Okay, that's another word for excrement. As friends, we have to be careful what we're putting out there. We have to be careful what we're filling the atmosphere of the temple with. We're in community with other temples, right? We are a collective, a collective temple. That's what I told Tracy. I said the rest of the house is the outer court. It's part of the temple. It's the outer court. Here's our little shared room. That's the holy place. And then you go into the holy of holies, which is our bedroom. You know, so we're in community with in a temple. So what are we breathing out into the atmosphere? We've got to be careful of what we're doing to our friends, what we're feeding our friends. I would say that that represented a taste in my mouth. I couldn't get out, okay? I had tasted of something. Something got put in my mouth, and I was from a friend that was excrement. There was no value in that. That's waste. It's wasteful. It's just waste. It's not meant to be something you feed your friends, right? Right? And I couldn't get the taste out of my mouth. And I think the reason we do that is because we real, we think we can't see the truth. We don't have that perspective that Tisa talked about. And so we say things that we see the enemy saying or doing without the, the perspective of being founded on truth. So I just want to propose to you, I mean, we all need friends to work through things and to get to the bottom of things. But I think we're being called up higher to seek what is the truth, what is the solid truth, before we speak stuff to each other and put stuff into the atmosphere of our shared temple that we seek what the solid foundation of truth is. And he's inviting us to to a greater level. I'm telling you, he's inviting us to a greater level that is closer in intimacy with him, like that holy place of being where our world is illuminated by his pure truth only. His pure truth only. So Papa, just thank you. I thank you for the way you speak, Holy Spirit. Jesus, I thank you for the price you paid. I thank you for highlighting for us today that you came to be the light. You came to be the light, the light that dispels darkness the light that dispels darkness, that makes every unclean thing clean. As we sang about it, only you can do it. Only you can shine a light on our circumstances and give solid foundational truth made of pure gold that is worthy of our wall, that is worthy for us to plant our feet on and to to war from, to be the watchers on the wall for our friends, for our community, for those worshiping you in our temple. So I thank you that you are, touching our mouths, you're touching our lips today to make what's unclean clean. You are cleansing us today by your presence, by the blood of the cross, by all that you've done and this this invitation to to live and breathe and have our being on pure truth. So I thank you, Holy Spirit. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you for the imagery. And I ask that you would just make this message personal, that you would make this imagery personal, that you would cause the others to seek out an image if they have to look it up a picture and think about where they are in their day. Are you in the outer court in a moment or are you in the holy place? When you see something going on, you feel something going on, are you standing on the outer court Under the natural sky, or are you standing in the holy place closer to the pure light, the pure presence of God and the light of God's truth where that's all that you can see? Holy Spirit, I just thank you for the the, uh, powerful message that you shared today. I thank you for the invitation and the call up higher. I thank you for telling us at the front end of the service that you've done it all. You've already done it all. You've already done it all. So I just thank you. I don't know what else to say, but thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Papa God. Thank you, Warrior Team. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We love you so much. We want to walk in a greater purity with you. Thank you, thank you that your truth is ever expanding, that the universe of your truth is expanding Evermore, and that we get to participate with you by breathing in your name, breathing out the very breath of God, and changing the atmosphere around us. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirit, in our whole lives, in this tribe, in our community. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Papa. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you today. We bless this word. And we look forward with excitement for what this week ahead will bring.